Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Today is June 22nd, 2022, and this is episode 344. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll, we're going to talk all about the Masson Cup, and we're going to try really hard not to say the word Walgreens. We'll also decide if we can update an old Bird's Eye View favorite and we'll do all that right after we lubricate for the show that's right it is time for the drink of the week scott magnus what is it um so when you arrived this evening uh i made myself a gin and tonic um, and uh actually it was a gin mule not a gin and tonic um it was made such a long time ago uh that this cup is now empty uh so i'm gonna have to create something else during our intermissions this evening uh for me to uh, wet my whistle with uh but yeah a good old-fashioned gin and mule uh, ginger beer, Hendrix gin, a little simple syrup on the bottom. Um, oh boy, what a beer. And a whoa boy, what a beverage. Poor Scotty has been listening to me talk way longer than you have on this A episode. lot. Uh, <laughs> We're at the three-hour mark. <laughs> myself, I am having a Maryland beer experience. Going to two of my favorites. I have worked my way through a Snake Dog IPA from Flying Dog. One of my just absolute Flavorites, if you haven't had it, but you love IPAs, what are you doing? Get yourself a snake dog. And now, of course, I'm gone. I've gone to the loose cannon um, because one must. And if you're interested to see what it is that we are drinking on a daily, weekly, hourly basis, please come find us on Untapped. I'm at Jake E4025. I'm at MAG and at 8606. Fun question for you about this. Maryland rivalry here between Flying Dog and Heavy Seas. Which one is the bigger brewery in Maryland in terms of capacity slash output, do you think? Oh, I have no idea. I would think that it's probably Flying Dog. That is correct. That is Flying Dog. Did you know that Flying Dog is the 34th largest microbrewery in the United States as of 2021? I did not know that. Heavy Seas is not even in the top 50. Um, But yeah, I was surprised to see Flying Dog as the number one microbrewery producer um in all of maryland um not shocked but just a little surprised is the best way to put it i've seen flying dog in in places outside of maryland that i haven't seen heavy seas heavy seas i think is is pretty widely distributed yep. but but flying dog is definitely one of your favorite breweries is way up the list uh trogues is i believe in the top 20 of top microbreweries in the u.s in terms of Ooh. output production so i know you like a good hershey pennsylvania beverage they are perpetually my favorite yeah all right well with that i think that's enough beer talk um let's go ahead and rest our livers and uh, head over to the medical wing time for your checkup time for your checkup i'm gonna check your ears check your eyes find out how much you've grown time for your checkup gonna listen to your heart fix you up ready to go time for your checkup <laughs> it's okay if you giggle All right, Jake. So uh, starting us off on the medical wing, um, you know, not too many big things going on. Um, Are you kidding me? 
Are we not going to talk about the fact that John Means is hurt? John Means is still hurt. Oh. Grayson Rodriguez is still hurt. Um, but Yusniel Diaz is back and uh, hitting the ball once again. He's back for now. And he's gone. <laughs> By the end of this podcast, he'll be on the injury uh, list again. Um, but yeah, Diaz is back. Um, you know, Matt Harvey is starting to pitch in simulated games. That's great news, right? Yeah. Just did you just clear your nose there for a second? I did no such thing. <laughs> I tried to get away with that because this is not a visual medium. But thank you for outing me. I appreciate it. No that. problem. I think we all heard you kind of rub your nose in a vigorous 1980s style, <laughs> is the best way to put it. Um and you know, there's really nobody else that is really big coming back. I mean, there's a little bit of an aspect where Ramon Urias is kind of rehabbing. I don't really see where Ramon Urias kind of fits in on this team. Yeah. I mean, when Ramon Urias is ready, where does he fit in on the 25-26 man roster? Where Nevin is? I think I'd rather take Nevin than Urias. What do you think at this point? I think the organization would rather take Urias to see what they can get out of him than Nevin. I don't know. I mean, I feel like that ship has sailed is the best way to put it. I was high on... Ramon Urias at one point. I believe I called him the next Jonathan Scope. Yeah, I w- maybe wasn't that high on him, but I think that the organization. One second. <laughs> Sorry. I think that the organization wants to make sure that they're not wrong. Uh, I think the organization has shown, unlike the previous administration, um, that they're willing to admit and walk away from disasters that occur. You mean the reason that they resigned Matt Harvey? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, also, can we just talk about the fact that Kyle Stowers is day to day? I mean, that's fine. I mean, it's, I'm not going to get too worried about that. I mean, people are going to get banged up over a long enough season. Honestly, if I would have gone to Canada for a few days, I'd probably be day to day as well. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, nothing else going really on. Like I said, we'll just kind of continue to monitor. I know Mancini, um, was dealing with some, you know, some tenderness here and there. He's back in the lineup, so that's not really an issue. Uh, there was a stomach bug that popped up uh, with uh, Jordan Lyles. Obviously, he missed his start on uh, on Sunday. He came back and pitched on Tuesday night. Again, no huge issue with that. I don't know. I've been sick to my stomach watching the Orioles from time to time over the last decade. Yeah. So, again, nothing major is the best way to describe it. I think we could use a little bit of a reprieve um, after the whole, you know, Grayson Rodriguez, um, you know, debacle that has occurred. I'll tell you what, watching uh, Jorge Mateo uh, take a ball to the neck. Oh, yeah. I was really worried in that moment that we were going to have something to talk about on the uh, on the medical wing. And and luckily, that did not happen. I'll tell you what, from another medical wing uh, standpoint, just, you know, slightly off topic, but I would say somewhat still Orioles related. Um, watching Manny uh, hyperextend his leg once again Oof. and then go down with that ankle sprain, as they called it. I was just like, that looks really familiar is the best way to put it, um, which um, you can feel any way you want about Manny. Uh, you don't want to see that happen to him. Um, and again, uh, it's just, like I said, I'm glad to see he's going to be okay. But man, that just that reared up really bad memories from, from 2013. Um, all right, well, um, with that, tune to Here's your list this week on the Twitters. Let's do it. Um, here's a tweet that comes to us from Nathan Ruiz, who, of course, tweets at Nathan S. Ruiz. Zach Lowther, Kevin Smith, and Jemai Jones, all ranked among the Orioles' top 30 prospects coming into the year. 
have all been put on waivers this season and gone unclaimed. And so, Scotty, I'm going to ask you, Mm -hmm. what does that tell you about our minor league system? Is it that we got lucky? Is it that some of our top 30 prospects are not good as we would have liked to have have believed? Or is it just this is baseball and this is the way it happens? Um, So, again, I think if you go with what folks like Keith Law would say, I think people like Keith Law have said that the Orioles... Um, farm system is extremely top heavy. Um, my personal opinion is I look at someone like Jemai Jones and I look at, you know, who is available, um, to potentially replace him in that top 10. And I'm like, why would you need Jemai Jones? The Zach Lothar and the Kevin Smith one is a little bit more bothersome to me. Um, but again, I, I think we talked about Zach Lothar. Nothing really came about it in terms of his player development. And again, Elias kind of threw out that standpoint of saying you got to develop this year or else this is your last chance. So I, I feel like this is, it's going to happen. You're not going to progress all your top 30 prospects with Jones. I think it's through attrition. I think it's kind of just like, you've got a lot of um, individuals in that infield at this moment that you don't really need to worry about. Um, one other individual in the future might be Urias as well. Um, but the Zach Lowe's mean one, the next Jonathan's. Yeah. Zach Lothar is the only one here that kind of slightly bothers me because I'm like, you should have been able to turn Zach Lothar into something. Um, but he never was able to kind of pull it together. That's the best way to put it. So not too worried about this whatsoever. This is typical attrition through a farm system. Okay, fair enough. Um, next, I, I just want to go ahead and, and return us to an area that Bird's Eye Views this week on the Twitters was built for. Absolutely. And that is more Matt Kremnitzer. Yep. So the tweet of the week from Matt Kremnitzer um, comes as follows as a response to Mike Petrullio. Um Mike Petrullio tweeted as follows. Good morning. The Orioles have as many wins as the Mariners and the Marlins. What a weird and interesting sport we follow. Matt responded with, the Mariners and Marlins are also bad for baseball. Confirmed. Of course, this is a joke specifically about, you know, a bus rolling and getting everything like that. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, in terms of this kind of, you know, categorical focus of where we are. And we're going to get into it later as we go around the bases. Um, I still don't know how I feel about being grouped with the Mariners and the Marlins. Yes, you're not the very bottom. But this kind of goes back to the point that we were always making with Buster Olney. Like, it's not like the Mariners or Marlins fans are really enjoying life as it is and really coming back to the ballpark in droves. Like, you either kind of really good or you might as well just kind of be really bad. Um, but yeah, Mike, Matt, welcome back to this week on the Twitters. Uh, we look forward to seeing you more so in the future. All right, our next tweet, and I'm going to go to the source. I, I, I came to this tweet by responses, but I'm just going to go to the source. This comes uh, to us from Alizar, who tweets at Zarzarbinks. I think that's the bizarro Jar Jar Binks. Must be. Big shout out to this couple that brought Ziplocs of spaghetti to the Orioles game, complete with a picture a picture of somebody sitting in um, in Camden Yards with giant Ziploc bags full of spaghetti. And so, Scott, I ask you, um, is this a great idea or the best idea? Um, I'm going to have to go with this is a terrible idea. Okay, why? First of all, you're bringing spaghetti, even if it's spaghetti-os, into the ballpark. 
how are you eating? It's not warm. It's got to be cold, right? Okay. This leads to so many questions. Yeah. And I know this is a baseball podcast, and that's all good and fine. But now we're getting into the territory of why are you comfortable with eating cold pizza, but you're not comfortable with eating cold lasagna? Why are you comfortable with eating cold pizza, but you're not comfortable with eating cold spaghetti? Yeah. But sidestepping that issue yeah. entirely, this is a summer sport, Scotty. It is a you take that Ziploc bag full of spaghetti and you put it on your dashboard as you drive down, you've got hot spaghetti. You're right. Like I said, you can make this work. I mean, there is various ways that you could figure out how to make this work. It just seems like it's not... It doesn't seem like it makes sense to me is the best way to put it. I want to defend this couple, whoever they are. And by the way, if you know this couple, if you are we, this we, couple. We do know this person, actually. We do. Yes. So this is um, Alice Azu. You can follow her at Alice Azu. She is actually a reporter for the new Baltimore Banner. Um, and uh, she is uh, doing uh, reports on immigration and studying health policy for Johns Hopkins. Um, so, yes, if you would like to follow um, additional aspects as it relates to um, you know, that's information. Do so. Uh, she also sat down and wrote for the Baltimore Banner this week, specifically asking, what are the best foods to bring to an Orioles game? Well, I now have some things to write, but I will stand by and say that if this is the kind of journalism that I am looking for in a local newspaper. Okay. This is why I subscribe to the Baltimore Banner only a week out is the best way to put it. Um, also Justin Fenton, I'm a fanboy. Um, uh, and I will fully admit that. But this is exactly what we should be writing about in our local newspaper. I'm just saying, if all you have is a single Ziploc, you can maximize the amount of food by jamming it full of spaghetti. Okay, so here's the here's the issue. And again, I hate to be this. But I'm going to kind of be... I'm going to be the Karen. You don't hate this. Yes. So it does say in the rules that, yes, you can bring food in as long as it fits into a gallon bag. As long as... As the portions or size for an individual. A gallon bag of spaghetti is way too much. It's not individually portion sized. Don't tell me what I can't eat. <laughs> I'm just saying. I can eat a gallon of spaghetti. This is Over just, the course of three hours? Listen, I'm just looking at this. I'm looking at a, a bag of cold spaghetti in a Ziploc bag that obviously has not been individually portioned. And I just think to myself... This is like the Joey Rickard of Baltimore Orioles baseball uh, snacks. Uh, uh, uh. You're talking about dashboard hot spaghetti. <laughs> no, we're not talking about dashboard hot spaghetti because then again, you've got to put it on the dashboard and you're getting all hot and heavy. Well, actually, I don't want to get too hot and heavy while in the car. But uh, again, I appreciate the the thought process behind this, but it just doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. Like This, by the way, is what happens when we warm up for three hours before hitting the mics. Yeah. But what yeah. else is happening on this week on the Twitters? But I'm serious. Like, definitely go ahead and and, and give um, Baltimore Banner a subscription. Here, here. Um, definitely worthwhile to do it over over doing at the Sun. Um, and again, give Alice Azu uh, a quick look. Like I said, we'll link to of it. But again, she throws out a ton of ideas: spaghetti sandwiches, dumplings was another one to throw out, which I think is an interesting one. Again, and coming back to your dashboard confessions, um, as it were, uh, Jake English. <laughs> Uh, she highly recommends mashed potatoes and uh, cutting them at the corner and piping them into your mouth during the game. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need to have her on the show to talk yeah. ballpark. Food. You want to talk I'm, to somebody about piping hot potatoes into your mouth. I am 
I'm all about this right now. <laughs> I've made so many poor decisions in my life, and I want to make more. All right. So last tweet uh, comes from us, MLB on Fox. Um, again, again, not you know that Fox, but MLB on Fox. Um, and it was on this day in 2006, the Orioles tried to intentionally walk Miggy, uh, but failed. And obviously, uh, Miggy decided to just slap it into center field. Um, RBI scores, um, and the Orioles are eternally embarrassed during the dark ages. Can Can I be honest? Yeah. I think about this a lot. Really? This play lives rent-free in my head in a big way. Is this why you, you do not issue the intentional walk anymore on your son's baseball team? No, I, I issue a lot of unintentional walks okay. in 11U baseball. Um, but this is one of those things that's like high watermark for dark ages. Yeah. You, you think about like the really embarrassing things like Mother's Day Massacre. This is on that level. Oh, yeah. I think about this, this, this play is, a lot. This is a Mount Rushmore of, yes. of Dark or Ages Orioles baseball. Oh my God, Scott! Why are we Why are we having this discussion on air and not in in pre-show? We need to have a Mount Rushmore of Dark Ages. All right, ages so baseball. if we're talking, oh if we're talking Dark Ages Orioles baseball, and again, we can further get into this at a later point. This obviously fits it on there to me. Um, I think Mother's Day Massacre is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the Jack Cusp, like Jack, Jack Cusp falling, uh, going back and forth at home plate, is a great example. I'm having a tough time with my fourth one, like an exact moment. I am tweeting right now. Yeah, I'm going to get Birdland away in on this. Yeah. This is too good an idea. Yeah. I really wish that we had we had. I really wish that this had come up in our three hours of discussion yeah. before the show. We were actually talking about legitimate things as opposed to Mount Rushmore of of Dark Ages baseball. Um, but yeah, those are the three moments that rigidly register in my head uh, for Dark Ages Orioles baseball. Um, maybe not quite what it is but i'll tell you a moment that does register for me specifically in dark ages baseball and it's not specifically the club's fault but it, it's something that resonates with me in the timeline is when flanagan obviously passed away and it's just something that strikes me about that time period and just all the chaos the bad stuff that happened off the field um weighing on somebody to such a certain degree um that that happened as well um and I don't know if that would that would hit my thing, but that is something that I I kind of always think back to and just being like bad baseball, I don't know. Like I said, it's just it just it rankles me in that way. But this is a good one in terms of Miggy um slapping it with the intentional walk. I'm sure there's other things that we can come up with. Um but yeah, tweet that out. Let's see what people come come up with and, and, and come up with some ideas. Like I said, that's a good one for a Mount Rushmore, even a top ten aspect as it relates to uh, coming up with ideas. All right. Well, with that, um, we spent way too much time on Around the Bases. Um, but I mean, I'm not this week on the Twitters. So let's go to Around the Bases. Let's get caught up a little bit on Orioles baseball um, and, uh, you know, talk about some actually decent and good played baseball um, that we've been seeing for the month of June as a whole. Um, and maybe some reasons why we're seeing some good baseball um, as we're getting there. All right, it's it's that time. We're going to go around the bases. But, Scotty, I have a request. Okay. I don't know when the last time we did this. Um, it's been a while. I'm going to ask you to dust something off for me. Sure. Scott, there's a very specific bit of sound that I need in my life right now. 
Okay. And, and you want that right now? Right now. All right. Let's see if I can help that out. That's right, folks. It's time for the Brian Roberts watch. No, 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 no. It's not the Brian Roberts watch. No. And it is not the Nick Marcakis watch. What? Scott. I'm so confused right those now. References are 10 years old. <laughs> I mean, we act like 10 year olds. So. <laughs> Scott, it's time for the hashtag the Adley Rutschman watch. Ooh. People okay. have been talking about Adley Rutschman and his production at the plate. And so I want to talk about what we saw this past week. We're not even good, bad, and the ugly territory here, Scotty. This week was certainly better at the plate for Adley Rutschman than it has been. And here at first base, I want to say, well, I'm not saying that he has arrived. I'm simply saying that the rookie is on his way to adjusting to the league. In this past week, Adley Rutschman had a 191 weighted runs created plus. Now, if you're new to us, you're, you're listening along and you're saying, what the hell is weighted runs created plus? This is a statistic that tries to take all of the offensive production that a, an offensive player can can make and level that at 100. Right? Uh-huh. So league average is 100. Adley Rutschman had a weighted runs created plus of 191 in this last week. Is that good? I would take it. Here, Here's what I'll say about his week. Yep. On this season, on the entire season, Fangraphs has uh, Adley Rutschman at a 0.4 war. Yes. 0.3 of that war was amassed this week. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right that, um, you know, Adley, you know, from his offensive performance standpoint, um, has been sorely lacking. I mean, even if you combine this week's with his entire season total, um, he is at a 207 average, 277 on base percentage. 274 Woba and a 76 weighted runs created plus. So the 190 certainly helped bring it up significantly. Um, we are no longer in JJ Hardy territory. Oh, um, oh you wound me, sir. We are we're clearly in David Lowe territory here uh, from a weighted runs created plus standpoint. Talk about Dark Ages Mount Rush. Um, but yeah, um, you're absolutely right. Like he has been really impressive for the past seven days on that basis. Um, even if you go back for the past 14 days over a 40 plate appearance standpoint, um, you know, it's been really impressive. 297 average, 350 on base percentage, 541 slugging, um, a a WOBA of right around 382. Um, and again, a weighted runs created plus of 152. Uh, again, doing a nice job at the plate, minimizing the strikeout rate at 12.5% K rate and a 7.5% walk rate. And again, I, I come back to this standpoint of the more I watch Adley, the more I'm like, he's got a really good plate approach. He just has to figure out, you know, how he is going to basically achieve the right swing profile in order to get it. But we continue to see really hit hard hit line drives. And I just feel like it's only a matter of time before it progresses into something else. We're we're not talking about the clear issue that took place this week. Mm-hmm. And it is not good. This is a negative outlook from uh, the Adley Rutschman situation. And that is his facial hair. Mm. I don't care how much you enjoy uh, the Top Gun movie. Adley Rutschman, you are not ready for that kind of mustache. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, it was pretty bad. 
Um, I, I will give this to to Adley Rutschman. Um, you know, looking at his expected WOBA um, for the entire season, it's at three twenty three. Um, you know, looking at you know other individuals that have a similar standpoint from an expected WOBA, you're looking at folks like Cedric Mullins on the team right now. Um, I feel like that's a pretty accurate description of where he's been two point. Which again, it hasn't been this you know great performance in terms of at the plate. But again, I'm not expecting great performance in 100 plate appearances. I'm looking to see how you're progressing. And I feel like if I look at the first 50 plate appearances, to be fair, they were pretty god-ugly, um, except for plate discipline. The last 50 plate appearances, I'd say, we're starting to see the the Adley Rushman that we were expecting to see come about. Um, and again, I come back to the standpoint of, I think we continue to see the defensive catcher that he has heralded to be. And I come back to this point of, you know, if we take a look at top level catchers, if you can have a catcher hit at 140 to 160 weighted runs created plus, you're an MVP candidate is the best way to describe it. If you're a, a really good defensive catcher. Um, so again, I am not willing to say that Adley Rutschman has arrived, but what I'm saying is all those people that were losing their minds for the first two or three weeks and saying, well, we need, we need to send Adley Rutschman back to Norfolk. You people are morons. You need to stop breeding, and you need to go jump and kill yourself. I, w- I award you no points. <laughs> I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Is it wish casting to look at those at-bats and say, with the command of the strike zone that he, he's shown, whether or not the results are there, and the bat speed, that good things are on the way? Yeah. I, again, I, I think the biggest concern I have is just the power. It, you know, Is the power going to translate, um, or are we going to continue to see a bunch of extra base hits? I still feel like with enough plate appearances that eventually the power will, in essence, show up. Um, but I'll take extra base. It's all day, any day is the best way to put it. So, yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. But my biggest concern is the mustache. I that's, that's the I, I don't want to see the mustache ever, ever again. Uh, it needs to go away. Um, speaking of which, I know we're going to go back to this week on the Twitters. Camden Chat posted this today. They were watching the game. Uh, apparently, Jim Palmer at one point had grown a mustache and was told, you look like somebody and you need to shave it. And Kevin Brown asked the question to Jim Palmer, who did you look like that made you shave it? And Jim Palmer would not say who the individual was that he looked like and why he shaved it. So, Birdland, I need assistance here. I need you to go and get pictures of Jim Palmer and I need you to put mustaches on them, various different kinds of mustaches. And we need to figure out from through facial recognition software who he would have looked like back in that time period. Oh, hair on his face. Okay. Yes, with hair on his with face. You. Absolutely. Not the bush, just hair on the face. I think there's nowhere else to go than the second base here. So I'm going to round first, head into second base. And We're not going to home plate right away? <laughs> nope. 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 <laughs> Scotty, I want to talk about pitching. Yeah. And uh, we got a couple of things to talk about with the pitching, but I need I need to talk about this because I I need you to help me sort my feelings. I'm having feelings about my feelings, and I need you to tell me whether I should feel them. Is it my imagination, or has Dean Kramer been pretty okay? I'd say Dean Kramer has been good in the very small sample size that we have seen him. However, this is why I bring it up. Bring me bring me the however. 
it's not like he's got a great K rate. <laughs> and it's not like he's got a great velocity. So I don't really see how this is sustainable. I mean, I love the result. But he strikes me as Tyler Wells 2.0. <laughs> Which again, maybe he's not bad. Ooh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a second. Yeah. So l- l- let me ask you this. What would it take for you to look at a Dean Kramer and say, this is a mirage? Or this is for real. I mean, I I think the only way that I am going to be able to be convinced um, that Dean Kramer is, in essence, you know, a mirage or something real is um, he is going to need to turn water to wine. uh, And the Pharisees (laughs) are going to need to basically indicate um, that he is truly the chosen one going forward for me. I'm going to flip the table for a second, and I'm going to ask you to actually <laughs> answer the question. What what would it take to to look at Dean Kramer and say what we're seeing might be uh, real versus what, what we're A higher K rate. Again, if we were in the ballpark of, we'll call it 7.5 to 8, I'd say we're, we got something here. Um, for the time being... I haven't seen enough to basically make me justify that. And again, it's a, it's a very small sample size. I mean, it hasn't been like he's pitched a ton. Um, but that's my biggest concern is I just, I don't know. I just don't think there's enough, enough, enough for me to say, yes, he's got something there at, at this point. Let me ask you this. Uh, when we talk about, you know, ceiling and floor, do you think that Kramer has the ceiling of being what Keegan Aiken is now? Yes. If I look at the next buckle up birds, imagine imagine you just, you know, tilt your head and squint for a second and assume that we have solved the the starter problem. Yeah. Assume that some combination of John Means and Grayson I don't even know if I would consider that to be a ceiling. I would actually consider that to be a floor. Really? Yeah. Okay. So if we've got if we've got meetings. I've always said that Kramer really should be probably a bullpen piece, honestly. Like you look at, you know, his projections, you look at his, you know, his fastball, his command and standpoint, and there isn't anything, any pitch specifically that is like a wow pitch. He's always projected to be a number four, number five starter. And I'm like, in reality, that's probably the best that he's ever going to be. And more than likely, he's probably more of a, a long man individual. Um I still I still classify him in a category like a Tommy Hunter is the best way to put it. Um, and again, that's valuable, but I I think that's floor for him. Like he has to be that is the best way to put it. I wonder if in the modern game mm-hmm. when pitching is so hard to come by, if guys like that are going to be the new market inefficiency. I don't think so. And here's here's why I bring this up is like. Um, I, to a certain regard, you're right that it's market efficiency because, again, let's take a look at a really good organization in Tampa. Tampa's been doing this for the past few years, and I think it's it's one of the standpoints of you're utilizing individuals that are in your farm system that we'll call it our top 10 to top 20 prospects to be individuals that can come out and get through the rotation once, no more than twice, and say they're done. So you're getting three maybe four innings out of him that's it um and it's impossible to get to six innings i i I don't want to trash on kramer too much but i kind of feel like that's what kramer is going to be is the best way to put it um 
Maybe he'll surprise me and be a number four, number five starter. I just don't see it. I, I, I hate to be that way, and I hate to just immediately dismiss someone from a career standpoint. But I just don't see it. All right. Well, this is why I bring my enthusiasm to you, Scotty, so that you can so I can poo poo all over it. it immediately. No, I mean, I would love to see him succeed. I mean, it's a it's a great story, and like I said, I, I he's he's a young enough individual at twenty six years old. But there's no wow pitch for me, and like I said, without that wow pitch, I just I don't know. Like I said, he just looks very hittable to me, and again, there's just no there's no get out pitch is the best way to put it, and I think that really bothers me. Okay. Someone's right. going to correct me on it, and that's fine. But like I said, teach me o- Orioles Twitter or, or Orioles audience why I should believe in Dean Kramer because I just I don't get it. I have I have another pitching question for you. Okay. If, if you will, if you will indulge me. Sure. We talked a lot about changes that came through with the new CBA, but one of the changes that I don't think we have talked about yet at this point, yeah, is this. Uh, with the new CBA, you're only allowed to call up and down a player, I believe it's five times five a times season. after May 1st is, is the other small wrinkle, but yes. Okay. I, I want to ask you that. Is this something that you think will interfere with the Norfolk shuttle? I think it's something they need to watch with certain players, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. Like it's not like many players are getting optioned five times in a season. There might be one person that this gets affected by. But I don't think, in general, this is that big of a deal. Um, so maybe it's one person, or maybe even in, in two people, where it's like four and four. But I feel like this is just roster management, and this is not a big deal. Okay. I, I saw that in the fine print recently, and I was like, I can't even, like, I don't keep track of the number of times. Right. Uh, but it did make me wonder, you know, if all this depth of organization that we we now have from a pitching standpoint if that if that was going to be a problem all right let's go back to to um specific pitching then are are we are we in the area where we're loving jorge lopez again i mean he's been filthy let's let's just call it that i mean he has been absolutely in fuego this entire season um i think he's leading right now major league baseball in terms of relievers off the top of my head in terms of F four and I, I'm almost positive he's leading in B war at this point for relievers. And I can pull those numbers up, but yeah, I mean he's been absolutely lights out. And I think the biggest standpoint, and we saw this plenty of times this week, um, was the multi inning relief save appearances that we saw, yeah. which are just so so impressive, honestly, um, and valuable and and valuable. But again, it's just that is such a it doesn't even reflect an aspect from an ERA standpoint. That just shows you that you're being brought into high leverage situations to basically close out a previous inning. And then you're coming into another high leverage situation in the ninth inning with nobody on. Yeah. So, I mean, Jorge Lopez has been lights out. I mean, I know that I was originally calling out the standpoint of, well, Felix Batista, I think, is going to be in that role. Um, I think the only way that Felix Batista gets into that role is that the Orioles decide to basically trade Jorge Lopez. Um, which I actually don't think is a good idea. I know there are people talking about it. I, I don't really think it makes much sense unless the Orioles get a massive haul. But again, if he's not going to be you know, a free agent until 2025, uh, I think you roll with it is the best way to put it and just see what happens. You know, I saw something on Twitter and I wish that I remembered who to attribute this to. Um, but somebody got nailed by autocorrect and tweeted out something that referenced Hooray Lopez. And I think 
I think that needs to be a thing. Yes. Hooray Lopez. Whenever he records a save or comes in in a high leverage situation, Hooray Lopez. Yeah. Uh, currently, Jorge Lopez ranks uh, fifth in Major League Baseball as it leads to relievers with F4. Uh, he is third behind Michael King and Clay Holmes of the New York Yankees um, at this given moment. I'm I'm sorry. Who are we talking about? Michael King and Clay Holmes. No, no, no. You, you said our pitcher was what? Jorge Lopez. Jorge Lopez. Thank yes. You, thank you, thank you. Um, okay. Last thing I want to talk about with the pitching is... Something that I loved, which was the bullpen game oh, on Sunday. That was a crazy game. That was a crazy, crazy game. Crazy game. But you talk about the strength of the Orioles staff. Yeah. And particularly the bullpen. Yeah. You look at a bullpen game and you got uh, both Baker, Bauman, Perez, and Lopez, who we discussed a little bit. Yep. You got yourself a fine little game right there. Uh, I don't think anybody after Jordan Wiles got scratched and they saw Voth was starting, or anyone thought, uh, we're going to have a chance to win this game. Uh, the bullpen was really impressive that entire game. Um, and let's be frank. I mean, I, I know the team lost on Saturday evening, but that was a great, great se- series for for the bullpen as a whole uh, and for pitching as a whole. But yeah, Sunday's game was really special is the best way to put it. Um, and they did a really nice job. You kind of knew that Ballman was going to kind of get thrown out there to basically try to get a good amount of innings. But yeah, the Orioles did a really nice job of duplicating what the Rays have done um, so well um, and basically copied the script from them and basically applied the same logic to them. Um, but it was a great game. Like I said, Voth, Baker, Bauman, you know, Perez was was good. I wouldn't say it was great, but it was good enough. And Lopez, but again, just, you know, I, I don't know what else to say besides what I just said, which is like he, in essence, shut the door um, and just sent everyone home very happy. Um I don't know who I would basically say was the best out of them, but like Lopez is just such a, it is such a commanding standpoint right now. Um, and I know I'm kind of jinxing him, knock on wood on this basis. Um, but yeah, Lopez has just been really impressive from a command standpoint, um, a velocity standpoint, and just kind of a, you know, not letting the leverage situations get to him too much. I'll tell you from my standpoint, the most impressive member of that, that little uh, group was Baker. Yeah, because my my expectations of Baker have have lowered to the point now where when he comes in, you know, I, I get a little concerned and he, he walked two guys. Yep. Right. But I loved what I saw from him. And when you when you see a guy like Baker come in, you know, all arms and legs, the way he is, the stuff that he's got, it, it almost reminds me a little bit of, of Miguel Castro. Mm-hmm. Right. I want a reliever like that to work. Yeah. And what I saw from Baker was this is the formula that can work, right? Mm-hmm. And is really my hope that he becomes a bullpen piece that, you know, we can slot in there, you know, with everybody else that he comes in and you do feel confident about. Yeah. Like I said, it was, you're right. Baker had a nice performance. And I think Baker is also one of those individuals that I continue to watch. And I'm like, at what point do the option Baker, because it's going to happen sooner rather than later, just to get another body in here. Um, it hasn't happened yet, but Voth and Baker are definitely, we'll call it in the lower tier of people that are going to, in essence, be on the roster for the full season. Um, all right, let's go to third base. Um, it's that time of the year again. It's mass and cup standpoint. Um, the Orioles are playing the Washington nationals. Um, this year 
has another familiar feel to it again from from previous years. Uh, the Orioles are bad. Uh, the Nationals are worse. There's something that just feels right about that. Like if the Orioles can't be good, yeah, there is some small comfort in the fact that the Nexpos are worse. Yeah, it's also you know eerily reminiscent again of like when the Nationals were really bad when they were basically tanking for Strasburg and stuff like that. Um, I'm sorry, was that bad for baseball? It was bad for baseball, okay. absolutely. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's it's interesting. I, I will also point out too, like looking at the stadium and and looking at it, I'm always thinking back to you know Masson Cup and also just how the Orioles and Nationals try to turn the whole Washington Baltimore thing into a um, fan rivalry standpoint, and it never caught steam whatsoever. Um, I think personally that's because I don't think they're national fans. Sorry. I know we, we say we know a Nationals fan, but I don't think he actually exists. Oh, no, they, they definitely exist. And, and you know... No, they don't. Having lived in the area, I know that there are diehard, real Washington baseball fans. Is that because they found a glove and a hat in their grandmother's attic? No, no, no. That that They're different from uh, turncoats. But I, I, but I will say what what eric said you know on the on the twitters this week is true you know uh all all you orioles fans and nationals fans who grew up as orioles fans yeah uh but but there are legitimately you know washington baseball fans and that's all that's all good and fine um i desperately want there to be uh right real rivalry there right but that's only because i'm i'm of both worlds in a way that that few people are but it does require both of us to experience good. Right. Um, but yeah, watching the games and everything like that, you know, last night's game for Tuesday was extremely frustrating. I know everyone was saying the thing. Still can't believe Nelson Cruz is going out there 41 years old and doing what he does. What the crap? I was just talking to my wife about this earlier tonight. Nelson Cruz came up and I believe he struck out in that particular. At-bat. No, no, he, he hit a, a ball down the left field line in that particular at bat. And I said to her, I said, this is the guy that the Orioles didn't re-sign after the 2014 season because he was a little long in the tooth. And I was totally in support of that move. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I know people are going to lambast and say that was stupid and we don't know what we're talking about, but he did what he was supposed to do in 2014 and the man got paid is the best way to put it. And, and that was the stage of his career that he was in. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well we're going to go ahead and just, you know, move on from it. Thanks so much for everything that you did. But we're going to move on past it. And you can criticize it. You can criticize that move. You can criticize the Marcakis move after 2014 and kind of blowing up the team. But it it kind of made sense for Nelson Cruz to kind of walk away. So I understand there's this revisionist history. People are like, you should know that Nelson Cruz is always going to be a hitting machine going forward. And you should have signed him. I don't know. You don't sign mid-30-year-old DHs. I have high praise to, to give here. Yeah. Is it possible? Mm-hmm. That Nelson Cruz is to hitting what Paul McCartney is to concert going. No. Both have some serious dirt on Father Time. They do, but Nelson... And do good work in, in Baltimore. But again, Nelson Cruz does not have as good of a sound system. That's true. Or a that sound team. Um, and then Michael Franco apparently is a thing and he's played for like 69 out of the 70 games he's still alive he's still alive and playing almost all the games for the nationals like it doesn't make any sense to me at all so you're telling me that fans who used to root for the orioles 
are now watching players who used to be Orioles and they're rooting for them. Yes. That seems appropriate. That feels very like memento-ish, like going down the rabbit hole. Um, but yeah, like I said, I don't know. Like, it's interesting. Like, first of all, two game series, really weird. Um, I don't know. Madison Cup just doesn't have the the vibe for me is the best way to put it. I I do. I like the the three and three home and away. Yeah. I hope that when they, they rebalance the schedules, it'll come back. To yeah. That. I, and I will come back to the standpoint of, you know, coming to this nationals aspect from a fandom standpoint. And I come back to, I was at the beaches this weekend. Uh, and again, I was not at um, Ocean City. I was at, we'll call it, uh, the yuppity slash liberal beaches is the best way to put it. Uh, where you get a conglomeration of Washington natives, Philadelphia natives, New Jersey, New York natives. And I'll say, like I saw a single Nationals hat, saw a ton of Orioles hats, saw no Phillies hats. And then obviously I saw some Red Sox and some Yankees hats in there as well, which is to be expected wherever you go. Hey, Arbutus has got to go on vacation somewhere. But I think it's going to be extremely interesting what is going to happen with this team and what is going to happen with this organization, what's going to happen with this region. If the Orioles get good and the Nationals, again, are in a rebuild mode, um, and what does that mean for corporate sponsorships for the Baltimore Orioles going forward? Are there going to be certain you know aspects and certain businesses that are going to partake in Orioles games going forward as opposed to National games because it's competitive baseball and oh, by the way, the Yankees and the Red Sox play there, and it's not the Phillies and the Mets and everything like that, too. Is there a better corporate draw to potentially do that as well? I think the the corporate sponsorships will be on the back of the next winning team. Yeah. It'll be the Grayson Rodriguez, the DL Hall, yep. the Adley Rutschman to decide how much corporate sponsorship comes in. I mean, I'm about to say, if it's a shame that Grayson Rodriguez could not um, you know, debut with the team, because I know Exxon has plenty of money that they could go to done sponsorships for for the gas man. Yikes. All right, let's go around third base. Let's head into home. And Scotty, we we've teased it a little bit, but the Orioles are still fun. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, first of all, if you did not enjoy the heck out of this past weekend, I don't know what was wrong with you. Like that was really, really good baseball. You made a very strong statement. I did on Twitter this week. And I want you to not only own it, but defend it and amplify it. Sure. I mean, it's the standpoint of, you know, Friday's game. Great game. Saturday game. Yeah, I realized they lost great comeback to basically come back and tie it. Yes, they lost with, you know, the Manfred ghost runner. Um, I thought it was just a great game. That's all. And then Sunday, again, we just talked about it in terms of the bullpen game, just a really nice game. But again, the Orioles continue to do really well. I mean, um, they're playing 500 baseball um, in June so far. Yes, they're they're nine under 500. Um, but it's one of those situations where people are looking at it and saying, this is a team that continues to fight. This is a team that is willing to come back even if they're down a few runs, um, just like we've talked about before. They're just playing a different kind of baseball than we have typically seen for the past, we'll call it three to four years. Um, I'm not saying they're a good team. But what I'm saying is they're playing like a 500 baseball team right now. Um, and it's nice to see is the best way to put it. it it's crazy to me. I mean, they're they're nine and nine in June so far. Uh, they're nine games under 500, which is frankly better than I thought it would be. I, I feel like the Orioles have a legit shot to win every night. 
and, and not saying that they're going to win, you know, every game, but they're not getting run out of the gym every night. It's weird that you said that of like you have a legit shot because there was many um, of aspects specifically in 2019, 2020, where I said when we were going up against teams like the Rays and I'm like, the Rays are in a different league than we are at this given moment with the talent that we are putting on the field. Like, like it, if we could just get one this series, it'd be good. Correct. It's just like this is a completely different team in terms of where they're at in their progression compared to the Baltimore Orioles. And I said, so it's like sending up a B travel team against an A travel team and being like, well, let's see what happens today. Easy. 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 Chief. It's, it's like sending Jake's baseball team up against Jabby's team. It's like, well, let's see what happens here. So It's rough. I know what happened. <laughs> uh, let, let me say this. The thing about the Orioles is that losses don't turn into long, extended losing streaks. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's good, been the difference. That's actually season. a good point. I mean, we did have that, we'll call it, um, decent losing streak. I think it was went to five or six games, which, again, teams do that. I mean, even if you look at the Buckle Birds era, there were sessions there where they had five or six losses in a row. They would come back and win five or six games at that point and t- kind of get it up to 500. Um, but again, we're seeing a lot of 500 baseball, a lot of winning series. Um, there are series that they lose as well. But again, I come back to they have two series wins against the Tampa Bay Rays this year. One from this past weekend, then one for the first weekend of the season. I don't know how to explain it besides that we haven't seen that in several years. Like it's very weird. Um, and it's a really good sign of going forward. Yes. The Yankees, the Orioles, you know, did not do so well against the Yankees, but I think we're also seeing no one is doing well against the Yankees. I mean, the Yankees would have a 740 win percentage last I checked. Like, I don't know what to make of that. Honestly, it's just, it's just, it's just craziness, but the Orioles are playing good baseball. Um, they are, competing they are not just going slowly into night and i think that's where it comes back down to tuesday's game was so frustrating because it was very eerily similar to a 2019 2020 2021 game where it's like nobody broke them out of it and they kind of just like stumbled through the game to get to the end and you're just like we haven't seen that at all this season where did that come from and again it might just been off game i mean as of this evening, the Orioles are winning seven to nothing, so they're coming back and, and taking it to them with with a cycle from Austin Hayes. Oh, so he had a cycle this evening. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't even hear that. So that's awesome that he hit a cycle. Um, he he can get the Felix Pia Award um, going forward. Oh, you don't want to you don't want to call it the Aubrey Huff Award. I do not want to call it the Aubrey Huff Award. Um, I, I do not. I want to go with the Felix Pia Award. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. Great, good job for, for Austin Hayes. But I, again, I think. Tuesday night's game was a great example to me of what I had been historically seeing from Baltimore Orioles baseball for the past few years. And everyone got really upset by it. And I was equally upset by it. Um, But I think that's what struck me most is it was so different than any other game that we have seen throughout the entire season about how just different the team looked. Here's the thing that I I think is interesting. It's when, weird. Like Austin Hayes had a terrible night last night too. Yeah, like yeah. he had a grand sombr- uh, He had a golden sombrero. He had four Ks last night, and he comes out tonight and hits a uh, hits a cycle. What the heck? I mean, that is not typical Orioles baseball. I mean, I don't know how to even say that. Like, if people get into funks, like even when we think about Adam Jones, if Adam Jones got into a funk, Adam Jones was in a funk for thirty plate appearances, is the best yeah. way to put it. Like, he would eventually get back on track. I. 
I, I can't think of a situation where someone basically has a golden sombrero and then comes back out and just does that. And, and here's the weird thing about being an Orioles fan is that the last winning era that we saw kind of came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. We went from 2011, which was awful, to the buckle of birds. Yep. And so we have never really seen a team go from bad to mediocre. Yep. And, and I really do, and I don't want to overstate it, but I, I kind of feel like the Orioles have gone from bad to mediocre. Yep. And, and that is, is both, um, you know, a backhanded compliment and also just a legit compliment where it's like, hey, this team is not wretched yeah. anymore. I, I'll tell you what's interesting, and it scares me. Is the best way to describe it. And I, and I don't like having these conversations. Is like my boss will come up to me at work, and I wouldn't say she's like a baseball baseball fan, but she is a supporter of the community. Is the best way to put it. Like it's not something that she likes. She likes going to the baseball game. She doesn't quite know what's going on, but she likes the the ambiance. And she's just like, "Hey, I was out at the restaurant and I saw the Oral game, and it looks like they've been doing pretty good lately." And I'm like, "Yeah, they're playing pretty good right now, but uh." Let's see what happens is the best way to put it. Like, it's almost like I, I don't want to jinx it is the best way to describe it. And even, you know, individuals I know earlier in this season, before the season started uh, from my family, that were like, God, this team is awful. Like, I can't believe they didn't sign this person. I can't believe they're going to roll out Jordan Lyles. And I'm like, yeah, but like all things considering, like they don't need to do much more at this given point. Like, would it have been nice to have like one additional superstar? Sure. But like. It's not like a make or break. It wasn't going to tra- transform it. And now I'm talking to them. They're just like, hey, this team's actually like pretty good. Like they're playing good baseball. They're going to having good techniques. They're honestly, like, yeah, they're playing around 500. And I said, you know, if they were to go out this offseason and sign one or two like really good players, I said, what would your impression be? And they're like, oh, with the prospects they have. And if they had to like, additional like one or two all stars, you know, they would be playoff bound easily. And I'm like, it's so weird to see people trash the team as much as they did at the very beginning of the portion of the season. And now flip that around and be like, Oh yeah, they're really close to competing. So what you're telling me yeah. is that it is the fault of John means Grayson Rodriguez. <laughs> it, it, it is and the, Carlos it, Correa. It is the fault a little bit of John means and Grayson Rodriguez, no fault to them. But again, can you just imagine what, how hyped we would be for 2023 if John Means was starting on starting for opening day. Grayson Rodriguez was in your 2023 opening rotation, and you were to go out and sign a player like Carlos Correa. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, it would be a whole hype level is the best way to put it. And Especially maybe with, you'll get to that point at some point. And like, we keep discounting this basis of well, Grayson Rodriguez is not going to be available, but I mean, he could theoretically be available at the start of next year. I, I think you're underselling the fact that we have the next Jonathan Scope on this club as well. I, I am underselling that. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to steal. And again, I, I we're, we're, we're at time is the best way to describe <laughs> it. Um, are we ever? But I don't want to steal from The Verge. And again, please, if you are not following The Verge, you should be following The Verge. Pause right now. Pause right now. Go sub- subscribe. Go subscribe. But I know you are. I know you're already subscribing. But uh, Gunnar Henderson and Jordan Westerberg are like, holy cow. Are you like, are you kidding me? Um and I mean Kobe Mayo is doing really good. So you're telling me that those guys are the next Ramon Ureases? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I like I, I 
All right. So you're going to yell at me. And I, okay. Everyone's going to yell at me on this one. And that's fine. I'm really going to be yelled at in this one. I really like Gunnar Henderson. Like, I really like Gunnar Henderson a lot. And I've liked Gunnar Henderson for a long time. And even when we drafted him and people were like losing their minds about the underslot and then being able to go out and get Gunnar Henderson, I was like, Gunnar Henderson is a great signing. And I said this, and you can go back and you can check, check. And like I said, I'm not BSing on this one. I was like, that's a, great a lot sign. of people go back and listen to well, no, well, I mean, episodes. I mean, like, I know the Russians do, but again, um, I said specifically, like, you had to go over slot on Gunnar Henderson in order to sign him, or else he was not going to get signed by any club. So the fact that you offered him more money allowed the Orioles to do it. And I said, that is a move that the Orioles would never have made in the previous regime. Like, that is such a foreign concept. And I can't, like, it, and I said at the time, and now you're looking at Gunnar Henderson, and I will say this much, like, Gunnar Henderson, I love Adley. And I think Adley's going to be really good. Gunnar Henderson may give him a run. Like Gunnar Henderson may give him a run in terms of how good he is going to be. Like, I don't know if Gunnar Henderson is going to be a number one prospect. But he could easily be a top 10 prospect by the end of the season. Easily. Yeah. And again, he's so young. I mean, he's 20 years old. You know, the average age for someone that's in AAA is going to be like 23 years old. So young. Um, I don't want to put mini territory on it because I think that's I think that's way too hype is the best way to put it. But he could be really, really good just looking at what he is doing, not just from a statistical standpoint, but just in terms of just watching him play baseball. I don't know. It's going to get really weird and really interesting is the best way to put it. And like I said, if you're not stoked watching prospects and listening to the verge talk about it and then watching what is going on at major leagues even at 500 baseball right now i don't know what to tell you like you should be hyped right now and again i know the bottom of the barrel is going to fall out and the Orioles, after i say this is going to are going to go on a 10 game losing streak in a row but there's a lot of good things to like about this team and there's a lot of good things to like about this organization going forward over the next we'll call it two to three years just sign somebody, and again, everyone's going to jump on the bandwagon. It's a really good opportunity if they can do so. All right. Well, we have um, gone way longer than we needed to. We uh, on here, Scott. Yeah. But why don't we go ahead and uh, head on over to Fantasy Boss, and um, we'll see uh, who won this week. Yes, folks, um, you know, that melodious sound uh, that we are playing right now um, is uh, Jake English um, pumping his fist and uh, winning it. Uh, so I did this two different ways. Uh, the category that we chose last week was barrel percentage. Um, Jake went with Ryan Mountcastle. I went with Trey Mancini. Um, you know, over the past seven days, it was actually really close. Ryan Mountcastle was number one with 22%. Trey Mancini was uh, number two with 20%. 
Um, but if we take it over the 14 days, which again, we were off a week because of me with work and stuff like that, Mountcastle still dominated. He was at 22.9%. Um, Trey Mancini dropped down to 10.5%. Uh, Mountcastle continues just to bang the ball is the best way to put it. So um, congratulations, Jake, on choosing Ryan Mountcastle. Um, great choice from a barrel percentage standpoint. So Jake, you were able to pick the category for this week in Fantasy Boss, and that ties us up 2-2 um, at this moment from Fantasy Boss standpoint. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go obscure. Can you, can we go with innings pitch and you pick Jerry Crable again? No, that's not <laughs> but I am going to go with something stupid. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go obscure. Okay. Uh, I would like to go with Babbitt. Babbitt! I would like to know who you think is having the most, um, fortuitous time at the plate. Okay. Over the next week. Okay. Um, all right. I am going to go with. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Rugnit or Door. That is a fascinating <laughs> choice. Why? What? What about Odor makes you think that that is the right choice? Uh, so the reason I'm going with Rugnit or Door is again, I am going about this in a non-statistical manner, and I'm going just like Jake English, where I would be like, should I take chalk or should I just pick up a random name out of a hat? And in this case, I'm going to go the Jake English route, and I'm going to pick a complete name out of my hat. Um, going forward. Okay. I'm not telling you you're wrong. Yeah. What I'm telling you is that Odor's Babbitt for the last week was 125. That's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. So, but that means he can go up. That's right. <laughs> you, you, you know what uh, what uh, Jim Hunter would say about this? What was that? He's due. He's due. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just going with a random person. Honestly, the two names that popped in my head, I was just like, do I go Mateo or do I go Odor? Okay. And I went Odor because... We've talked about Odor before when he was on a hot streak and he was hitting everything out, and it's been been some time is the best way to put it. So I Mateo, one, by the way, yes, <laughs> Mateo had a zero eighty three. Well, there you go. I kind of knew it. Like, so either they're going to continue to be absolutely gosh awful, or they're going to snap out of it and they're going to, in essence, hand me a victory. All right, let let's just. I I want you to understand. <laughs> I want you to understand what happened this past week. Sure. Uh, the person that led the team in BABIP this past week doesn't really count. Robinson Trinos had eight plate appearances. Oh, yeah. Okay, eight plate. That's a little on the low side. Right. Okay, so yeah. I, I, I'm going to throw that out. It's a it's a 500 BABIP. Okay. The next guy I'm also going to throw out had 14 plate appearances, okay. which was Ryan McKenna with a 445 okay. BABIP. Okay. By the way... That 444 Babbitt resulted in an 80 weighted runs. Well, there you go. The next on the team was Ryan Mountcastle with a 438. The next. And again, that comes back to the whole barrels aspect. If you're hitting the balls really hard, it's going to fall. Next on the team was Santander. Okay. Next on the team was Rutschman, followed by Mullins Mancini. I'm going to go with Santander. Okay. He was my pick before I started sorting. It's perfect. Uh, Could you have picked him maybe last week when he wasn't able to play in Toronto? I, I. Choose not to. Choose not to? Well, guess what? He also chooses not to as well. (laughs) But won't someone think of the children, Anthony? uh, What would the scouts think? (laughs) So it is now, uh, let me make sure I get this correct, Rugnet Odor versus Anthony Anthony Santander. Santander, For Babip, who will own it? Uh, And with that, let's go ahead and figure out who is good who is bad, and who is ugly in Birdland this past week. 
That's right. It's time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started. And my good, I want to talk about Tyler Wells, Scotty. You mentioned him earlier on the program, and I gave you the kibosh because I wanted to talk about it here. I am on record as being a fan of the Tyler Wells experience, or rather the Tyler Wells experiment. Uh, And we got him this week, this past week. We got a single game with six innings pitched. He had another good game tonight. Here we are recording on Wednesday, 622. Um, Last week, six innings pitched. Uh, I, I like what I'm seeing from Tyler Wells. And again, I feel like if he could be a fourth or a fifth starter on this club that has so much good pitching on the horizon, that could be a huge shot in the arm. I'm willing it to happen. And so my good this week is Tyler Wells. Hmm. Uh, yeah, my good for the week, I, I'm going to give it to Ryan Mountcastle. I think Ryan Mountcastle was absolutely, you know, smashing the ball again, the barrel standpoint. But again, over the past 14 days, he's got four home runs, 11 RBIs, 327 uh, average, a 654 slugging, a 180 rate of runs created plus. Um, yeah, like I said, dude's just mashing the ball is the best way to put it. Um, and just having a, a, a nice little season to go along with it too. I mean, over the entire season now, he's at 12 home runs. Um, you know, they're forecasting out for him to potentially get to 30 home runs this year. Once again, um, even with the wall, even with the wall. So again, 33 last year, they're projecting them to be over 30 again. Um, Bandcastle is having a nice little season. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I just, it's, it's, there's one other thing that I, I want to maybe correct myself on a little bit was I was giving Mountcastle a hard time earlier at the season, specifically for the defense. And I have seen some corrections on his part in terms of both how he's playing off the bag and also how he's kind of stretching and not getting it. So I think he's becoming more familiar with first base. I still don't think he's a great first baseman, um, but I think he's serviceable. How about that? Um, and I think he'll be good enough at at first base where he will not be a detriment to the team um do i think he's gonna be as good as like chris davis i I don't think so but i also don't think he's terrible is the best way to put it so um my my good's gonna go to 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 ryan mountcastle and i just want to kind of make a media culpa on that on that first base defensive standpoint all right fair enough uh, I'm going to take us into the bad territory, and my bad is going to look really stupid tonight mm-hmm. uh, because my bad for last week was uh, Austin Hayes. Yeah, Austin Hayes worked himself into a 41 weighted runs created plus, but the thing that I took away from that was really the 36 uh, K percentage, which led the regulars, you know, the guys getting most of the at-bats, uh, in a bit of a funk last week and here's hoping that uh you know his cycle brings him into good territory yeah my bad is going to go to trey mancini but it has an asterisk yeah trey did not have a good like week this week um and over the past 14 days but here's my biggest issue is i don't really have a beef with trey from an offensive standpoint what i have a beef with is trey being written into lineup to play in the outfield I, I don't get it. Like, I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, the only thing that it's, you know, comes back to is like, are they trying to promote him from a trade value standpoint? Trade does not need to see the outfield anymore. I'm, I'm sorry. He just does not have the skill set necessary. And again, 
with the current outfield that we have of Hayes and Santander and Mullins, like I don't want to see Trey Mancini at all um, in the outfield. So um, if we could just stop doing Trey Mancini outfielder, um, that'd be great. I've seen this song and dance before where Chris Davis as an outfielder. I don't need to see it anymore. Okay. couple of questions. Sure. First, isn't that really Brandon Hyde as your bat? Yeah, but Brandon Hyde's a Muppet, so I really can't blame him. Is he a Muppet? Or, or is he a Muppet, Muppet of a man? man? I think he's both, actually, at this point. Uh, like I said, it's it, there's an asterisk on this one because we're allowed to break the rules here at Bird's Eye View. What? What? All right, I'm going to head into ugly territory, and my ugly is being a Baltimore Orioles fan in the lead-up to the All-Star game. Look, all we can look forward to is a pity pick. And now that the all-star voting is starting to come out, it's pretty depressing to realize how far on the outside we are looking in. Again, we're only okay. This team is only mediocre, which feels good coming from where we've been. But boy, howdy, someday this club is going to be good. We're going to have stars. And when that happens, I'm going to give everybody a raft of crap when they don't vote in our boys to the All-Star game. It sucks to be on the outside looking in the All-Star game. My league's going to go to Bruce Zimmerman. Um, he was demoted to Norfolk um, this past week. Um, and again, let's look at some of the stats. 6.21 case per nine, 1.49 walks per nine. Uh, again, the bad came down to that 325 standpoint, but again, just not the stuff necessary to kind of get get it out. And this kind of comes back to what I was talking about before with someone like Dean Kramer. When I look at Zimmerman and I look at Kramer, I can kind of see a similar picture and it gets me concerned um, of, you know, where they fit. I think Zimmerman, again, could is potentially a fourth or fifth starter. I still don't believe that he is out of the woods on that basis. But if you look at his numbers that he's posted now in 2021 and 2022, you got to get a little worried. And again, at 27 years old, um, I'm not willing to say it's, it's a done deal, but folks that were talking about Bruce Zimmerman being, you know, potentially an asset for this team at the very beginning of the season. um, I think they got a ball to Jimenez and um I, like i said i think i i'll be very interested to see how bruce Zimmerman does in norfolk um and when he's back up because right now he's not a major league pitcher and i think we saw that for for quite some time so hopefully he gets it together um but clock is ticking is the best way to describe it at 27 years old sure absolutely all right uh, well, with that, uh, we're going to close this out. We're going to do a quick blowing the save, um, and I'll, I'll take it for this week. All right, Jake. So I know you are um, as deeply heartbroken um, on this topic as I am. Um, but the announcement was made last week uh, specifically that um, there are going to be no World Cup games hosted in the Baltimore, Washington metropolitan area for 2026 FIFA World Cup. 
And I I sat there and I said, I shouldn't be surprised is the best way to describe it. It's one of these matters where um, when I look at the other cities that were kind of picked, I look at it and I say to myself, this is a clear instance of us as a metropolitan area that we have not invested appropriately in the proper infrastructure to allow us to succeed to this. One of those things that came out in the FIFA reporting, and you can you can blow this off and just say, well, that's FIFA just making an excuse for an excuse standpoint. But it's something that kind of resonated with me um, as we went to the McCartney concert is the public transport situation within the Baltimore metropolitan area is an absolute travesty is the best way to describe it. There is not a really great way to get into the city if there is an accident um, on any of the ramps going into the city. The city is in essence shut down. Even if we're thinking about 83, the amount of issues that we have of 83 coming into the city is an absolute mess. And then if we're getting into the matter of trains and or buses getting into the city, we're left with an equally long issue. And we won't even even dictate to the aspect that there's truly a subway system within Baltimore, even though it does exist. But let's call it, you know, faintly existing at this given point. And I'm sitting here this week and I'm thinking about the whole situation and I'm thinking you know, how do we get into the situation? And I'm, you know, reminded as we're starting to enter into the situation of the defunct red line um, aspect that um, the governor of Maryland decided to not fund. And I think to myself of um, what could have been not just in terms of FIFA uh, World Cup matches that me and my son could have gone to, um, but also the numerous amount of businesses and universities that had projects lined up in order to support the red line accordingly um, and to support businesses that would have been surrounding the red line that I wouldn't say would have revitalized Baltimore entirely, but certainly would have offered a different conversation than the continuing conversation that we have on a, we'll call it a quarterly basis of what are we going to do with the inner harbor? Um, it's a shame. And again, it's a once more a stain that basically the Baltimore metropolitan area has a long way to go to once again, be seen as a top metropolitan area within the United States now and going forward as a positive, at least Nashville wasn't selected either. But, uh, the fact that the national, uh, the national capital, and then also the adjoining city of, of Baltimore, is not going to host a World Cup game. Um, deeply disappointing is the best way to put it. Large opinion on Bird's Eye View. Go figure. Yeah. And that, that is our show. Remember, you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available to download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. Please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come and get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com if you would like to talk transportation. If you would like to talk about the red line. Scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Snapchat, we're on the ticks and the talks. But the best place to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.